Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Ketubot, daf Peva, page 86. Well, we're still in the middle of our discussion about how certain types of debts get paid, and we have examples of this. But in the middle of Amad Aleph, we actually have an interesting statement by Amemar, which doesn't use a story to illustrate a point, but instead he gives a ruling. Amar Amemar, Mashmad Zerav Chama. Haiman Eka Allah Ketubari Shao Ba'achov. So we have a case here where there's a man who owns owes money to the ketubah of his wife and also a creditor, a balchov. And he has land and he has money. So the question is, who does he give the land to? Who does he give the money to? So for the balchov, he's going to give money. For the wife, he's going to give land. And so the Gemara explains, this is according to each one's law. What, what does this mean? The Balchov, the creditor, gave him money, so he should be returned to it in money. But a woman, when she enters a marriage, she doesn't give anything. She's not giving him money, right? And she understands that her ketubah could be paid off of a lien on the uh, land. And so therefore, she gets paid in land. Now the Gemara asks the question, right? Or Amemar is continuing saying, Let's say this person only owns a plot of land and can only pay one debt. Who should he pay? You pay the Balchov. We don't pay the woman. Now the question is why? The reason for this is that we say, as much as a man wants to marry, a woman even more so wants to be married. What the Gemara is basically saying here, and this is not something that I think, you know, feels great to modern sensibilities, but basically a man, a woman doesn't enter her marriage in order to collect her ketubah. So it's better to give the money to the creditor so he doesn't lo- lose out. And it, if we didn't pay him, it would discourage people from lending money. The woman will basically, she'll just have to deal. Amar le Rav Papa le Rav Chama. So Rav Papa says to Rav Chama, Vaidai da amritu mashme de Rava. Is it correct that you said this in the name of Rava? Haiman de maske be zuze. Right? With somebody who owns, who owes money, vi isle arya, and he has land. Vaata bachov vikatava mine. And the creditor comes and basically demands, the bachov demands money, right? And the uh, amarle, and the uh, and the the debtor says to the Balchov, Zil Shakul Mearya. He says, Fine, go and sell the land and you can get your money. I'll give you the land. I'm not going to give you money because I don't have money, but I'll give you my land. You can sell it and then you get your money. Amrina and Lay, right? Uh, so the question is, do we say that this is really, you know, uh, uh, so we say to him, right? Zil Zabinat Vaati Havle, right? Go and sell the land and give him money, right? Do we actually say, that this is actually the solution to this. Amarle, la, right? He says, no, I never said this in the name of Rava. That's not actually the solution that I would come up with with this. So Rav Papa says, tell me the incident itself. Tell me exactly what happened, right? That it would cause that this opinion would be attributed to Rava. Amarle, so Rav Chama says to him, tola right? It's the debtor who attached his money to a non-Jew. In other words, he possesses, he has the money, right? But he claims that the money actually belongs to a non-Jew and it can't be demanded. 
since this man acted improperly, right? He gave his money to a non-Jew and he can't pay the person back correctly. The the Chachamim acted improperly with him and they say, okay, you think your money's not free? Well, you can sell your land. So in other words, they act improperly with him. It's not that this should be a standard. This is really a unique case. Amr Rav Kahana Rav Papa. So now Rav Kahana says to Rav Papa, amart priyat mitzvah. According to your opinion, right, you say that the repayment to a creditor is actually a mitzvah. Amar, and so therefore, if the debtor says, la nichali de'abed mitzvah, right? I don't want to do this mitzvah. What would be the halacha? In other words, is there no obligation to basically repay a loan other than to perform a mitzvah? What if somebody says, I don't actually want to perform a mitzvah? In other words, Rav Kahan is sort of calling a Papa by saying, if you're going to call paying a debt, a mitzvah, someone could just say, I don't want to do this mitzvah, right? My, Amar right? So he says to him, Tanina, we already learned this in a brisa. Right? So when this statement was said, that basically you would get, here the brisa here is talking about getting 40 lashes, okay, by getting malkud. This is when we talk about a negative mitzvah, right? A lotase. But when it comes to positive mitzvah, right? Like somebody to do the mitzvah of sukkah and he doesn't do it, or to do the mitzvah of lulav and he doesn't do it, right? Makinoto natso. Nafsho. The court actually can strike him as many times as they want. They could do more than the typical amount of maklud until his soul departs in order to make him actually do the mitzvah. So in other words, based on this b'risa, what Rapapa says is, yes, since payment of the debt is actually a positive mitzvah, we can force somebody to pay who does not do it. So we basically have a series here, starting with the statement of Amemar, then uh, this you know question about whether Rava said, made the statement about what to do in this particular case where the money is not available, and then finally this exchange with Rav Gahan and Rav Papa, which all revolve around forcing somebody to pay their debt and how do we force them to pay their debt? Um, first of all, I think this shows the power of the Jewish courts at that time, right? Like today, the Beitin would not necessarily be able to do that. Um, but it's very interesting to see, you know, how they went about these different cases. This obviously must have come up. This is purely practical. I don't think in any way this is boundary pushing. Um, and that they really did have to force people to sort of pay their debts. But the fact that sort of the payment of the debt is viewed as a positive mitzvah, I think is also very interesting and in that it's within the court's authority, right? A person isn't just to let's say, hey, I don't feel like doing sukkah, I don't feel like doing lulav, I don't feel like doing, um, you know, paying a debt. It's within the court's authority to actually force people to do positive commandments, which I think is really something we have not thought about or talked about before. I think we usually look at it as like the court enforces not transgressing something, but here, we can use the court uh, as a power to fulfill something. Yeah, I, I like this rule of the court. I, I also kind of want some backstory, meaning we have so many different cases here of where the court is getting involved to make sure that somebody might be, you know, the questions of the practicality, paying the creditor, paying the ketubah. I'm curious why this person, why any of these people who might be subject to the court's involvement aren't paying, right? Is it that they've run on hard times? on, you know, cash flow, or is it that they're being slimy and they don't want to pay and they're only going to pay if somebody comes in and forces it? Meaning we don't have that 
side of things in in these Gemaras. Okay, I'm moving on to Ahmed Bet. On Ahmed Bet, we have two separate Mishnayot, um, and we're going to see a little bit of the Gemara on the shorter Mishnah between them as well. Hamoshiv et ishto chenvanit. So if somebody, a man sets up his wife to be a storekeeper, in, meaning a shopkeeper in his store, or, oh, shemina apotropia, or he sets her up to be um, uh, uh, somebody who's responsible for the property. We often hear about an apotropus. Here, this is the female version. So at that point, once she's set up in either of these two business roles, then the husband can insist that she take an oath to say that she has not um, messed with any of his property, that he that she has not stolen anything, basically, right? Whatever he wants, he can always Im- impose upon her to take an oath. Rabbi Lezer Omer, afilo al pilcha va'al isata. And Rabbi Lezer says, even, even he can make her take an oath about what she is producing with her spindle, meaning when she's um, spinning thread, right, or doing other needle crafts, I suppose, or her dough, meaning the spindle and the dough, right, this pilcha va'alisata, those two items are how she's running the household. But because she's set up in this position as a chenvanit, as a shopkeeper, or alternatively as an apotropia, then the husband can impose this this oath on her anytime he wants, which I find to be a really interesting, uh, I don't know, I find it a little, I would say, concerning, meaning, yes, he wants to make sure that anybody in his employ, including his wife, let's say, is not going to be skimming profits or something like that, but it seems to be a little bit of an extreme statement to say, oh, anytime he wants, meaning, Anytime he wants, if he's got suspicions, anytime he wants, because he's, you know, it's fun for him. It, it, there's there's really no caveat in the Mishnah. The Gemara, however, gets a little bit, you know, kind of recognizes that this is a little bit difficult. Um, the first thing that the Gemara does is, you know, raise this question about Rebbe Lezer and um, what does he mean that he can do this also for matters of the household? Um but, and and the part of the question is, you know, is that an ideal situation? Can he do this? Right? Is this because he's extending the oath from the shop or that it's something he can do, you know, I, I want to say gratis, right? From nothing. He can just come up to her and say, okay, I need to, you need to swear that your dough is kosher or something like that, right? But the Gemara then says something, I think, very wise. Tashma. Amru lo They said to Eliezer, they being Chazal, the sages at large, ain adam dar im nachash bekfifa. A person does not live in a basket with a snake, <laughs> which is one of these, you know, turns of phrase that really captures it. Meaning the woman, the wife here, is not going to stay. She's not, nobody expects a wife to live with a husband who is always accusing her or suspecting her of stealing. Right, meaning that's not a good dynamic. He should not set her up to be his chenvanit, his shopkeeper, if he thinks she's going to be stealing all the time, or that he feels the need to double check it all the time. Meaning, the Gemara says, like, okay, if you're saying that Rebbelezer was talking about um, him coming to her to impose an oath, the household matters. 
like stem, l'chatchila, meaning he could do it no matter what. Then that's exactly the point, right? That then she's a snake, then she's living with a snake in a basket. It's just too much. But if we're saying that it's only a matter of extending the oath from the from the from the shop, then then the Gemara says, well, then what difference does it make, right? Meaning she has to take the the oaths within the context of the shop are already the given, and so then the Gemara says the Amralei kevande kedaikat bache kule hai lo matzina da ador bahadach. So the Gemara says no, she could be saying to him. You are being so, so I, I want to say in my face, right? The the term here, dikadikat, means to a diuk, to be so precise, to be so exacting, right? That she can say, I can't live with you. Meaning, it doesn't have to be an additional oath. It's just a matter of the constancy of this. If if he's really demanding it, not that he has the right, but if he's really actually doing so, requiring her to to take oaths like this, then um, it seems to be uh, grounds for her to say, you know, this is too much. I cannot stay here. Um, okay, the Gemara goes on, but we're going to hit the next Mishnah, especially because it's longer. Katavla neder in the So this is, the opposite. If a husband says to his wife, if he puts it into the ketubah, that he does not have the right to administer an oath to her, right? Then he can't. But he could administer an oath to her heirs or anybody else who's under her authorities, meaning her authority, meaning the the limitation that he's placing on himself in the ketubah is specifically about her, even if other people then have the rights to the ketubah, like heirs. What if his formulation was, I don't have the right to, to put an oath on you or your heirs or anybody else who's under your authority? Then he cannot. Then he cannot administer an oath to any of those people. Not her, not her heirs. Not anybody who comes under her authority. But his heirs can um, exact the oath from her, right? The limitation is only on himself. If, what if everybody is stipulated? He, neither he nor his heirs, neither she nor her heirs. Nobody can have any oaths being administered between these this family. There will be no oaths. Meaning, he, the stipulation is good. It works. So after those three stipulations or cases of stipulations in the Ketubah, we have a bit of a story in the Mishnah, really. It's a case, really, um, that if somebody, a woman who is not, is, 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 Put, not put in the position of taking oaths, meaning as in these above cases in this Mishnah, right? And then she goes from her husband's grave back to her father's house, and she the point being that she's not dealing with, let's say, the property of her husband. She doesn't have any um, apotropia. She hasn't put appointed any um, person in her place to to be the steward over the property. I want to say apotropia, 
here with an aleph, and the uh, the previous mission was also with an aleph. It may just be a standard statement like apotropus, and I'm just I I'm I said before that it was the female version, the female form of the word. I I want to take that back. I think that it really is a more general statement. I apologize for my error. Uh, so einor yoshin mash inota. So in that case, the heirs cannot bring an oath upon her. She cannot be forced to swear. But what happens is if she did have a steward, become the steward, really, if she takes that charge of the property, then the heirs can ask her to swear on the future, meaning anything that she did after the death of the husband, because he's no longer in the picture because he's out of, because he's died. But she cannot be asked to swear on whatever has gone, has taken place during her husband's lifetime because that is his stipulation. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this DAF. Thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.